0: Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla Houston, and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Hello! Each episode we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption and then we tell you what we learned, fuck ups and all. This episode we're going to be talking about the flower industry because it's April and we're sad. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing cheers you up like flowers and then talking about how they're probably evil. I don't know, I didn't do the research on this one. <laughs> Are they evil,
1: Kristen? I don't know. They're maybe like chaotic neutral. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, Go. Cool. That's like a win by our standards.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, this wasn't, to be very frank, um, this wasn't one of the industries that has made me the most sad. Like, there are times when I'm researching this podcast and I'm like, everything's fucked. And I mean, there's a lot about the flower industry that is fucked, but it didn't make me deeply sad to my core in the way that some of the episodes have. Oh, you
0: mean the flower industry isn't bottom trawling forests for <laughs> for dandelions or
1: whatever? I mean like <laughs> I mean plantations or oh, no. monocrops, but we'll uh we'll get into that. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, great. Well, how do you how do you want to start this? I thought we might talk about a little bit about how the flower industry works to start off with because it's really fucking weird. Um, And then after that, we'll go into like, what are some of the issues around human rights and the environment? And then the other interesting thing about the flower industry is that there are like a zillion fucking eco labels for it. So we'll talk about some of the more famous ones. Um,
0: I don't think I've ever seen a single eco label for a flower.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, that's also another interesting dynamic. There are a bunch. But like you'll almost never, unless you're explicitly looking for it, like a florist isn't usually just gonna label their fl- their flowers organic or fair trade or whatever, unless they are a florist that specifically markets themselves that way. Like the average one won't. We'll talk about why, but um, but yeah, there are a lot out there, so it's 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 kind of an interesting industry. But I I wanted to start by asking you a question, Kyla. So what are some of the like most um, Quintessential flowers? Like, what are some of the most famous flowers that you would think about?
0: Roses, mm, lilies, tulips, daffodils, carnations.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are all like very common flowers. Good on you. I wanted to make sure you named a specific one and you got that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, was it carnations? No, it was tulips. Um, you got there right away. So, yeah, fun fact, tulips uh, don't actually originate from the Netherlands. They originate from Central Asia. I didn't know that until very recently. I would have thought that, like, they were from the Netherlands. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I feel like you always hear tulips in the Netherlands. Um, And, of course, they make most of the tulips, but um, they actually originated from Central Asia. The more you know. So anyway, we'll talk more about the Netherlands because they're a big player in the flower industry. But um, I think it's important just to kind of set the context by talking about what the flower industry is. So the cut flower industry, which is it's one segment of like floriculture. So there's cut flowers and then there's also stuff like foliage and potted plants and like young plant material. Those are all different elements. We're just going to talk about cut flowers. So like the stuff that goes in bouquets and that industry is worth about a hundred billion dollars worldwide. Whoa. Yeah. It's huge. eh? (laughs) Oh
0: my goodness. I don't know why that surprises me so much. I buy flowers all the time for myself, but like, and like weddings, of course, and like movie sets and conferences. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's one day that is the like high season for plants Um, or for cut flowers. Any guesses on which day of the year that is? It's either Valentine's Day or
0: Mother's Day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Valentine's Day is the big one, but you're right. Um, Mother's Day, Christmas, um, and also wedding season are also big ones for flowers. One thing that I found was interesting, although it really makes sense when you think about it, Flowers are really things that we don't usually buy for ourselves. They're mostly bought on occasions. So 60% of flowers are bought as a gift and another 20% are for weddings and funerals. So really it's like 80% of the industry is coming from consumption that we either put around events or that are sort of like this this social convention around things we give to other people. It's not stuff that we're consuming ourselves, which makes it a little bit interesting, right? Because like I, I know personally, I think about different things when I'm giving a gift than when I'm buying something for myself. I don't know if you're the same way.
0: Yeah, no, I, of course. Except I'm one of the very few people that apparently buys flowers for themselves <laughs> more than they buy them for other people. But yes, totally. I definitely like have different ideas when I'm trying to buy a gift for someone versus like just buying things for myself.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll make the Canadian Flower Association very happy. They did a bunch of consumer research that I read, and like one of their big things was like, millennial women don't buy flowers for themselves. We need to fix this. So you're oh. already like their key market. <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll maybe talk about how um, the supply chain for flowers works. Starts pretty simply. Flowers are grown, then they get cut and they get packed um, into like bunches. And they get transported uh, usually by air because flowers are perishable. So you've, they've usually got to be refrigerated the whole time and they have to go wherever they're going really quickly. Yeah, they have a pretty short shelf life. Yeah, yeah. So usually the, like, the time span between when they're harvested and when they get sold is like 10 to 12 days. So there's not a lot of time. And we'll talk about like who grows flowers, but like they're they're moving all around the world. So usually it's by air. So they, go, they don't go always directly to where they're going to be sold. This is one interesting thing about the flower industry, is there are these things called flower auction houses. Have you ever heard of this before? I hadn't until I was
0: doing some research for my challenge for this episode. And I was like, what? Florists get up at 2 a.m. to go to an auction in the middle of the night to buy <laughs> flowers? I don't know. what I mean, I guess that makes perfect sense. Where else would they all get them and when? But I want to see one of these.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I watched a documentary about the, because the big flower auction, the biggest one in the world is in the Netherlands. And it's where like quite a lot of the world's imported flowers go through. It's the, There are these really weird institutions where it's like almost like a university lecture hall, you know, where it's got like the, it's got like a stage and then it's got like these risers with a whole bunch of seats in it. But at each of the seats, there are consoles um, for people to be able to bid on flowers. And basically, there's like this this spinning sort of clock thing that counts down the price. Um, and so like they'll, they'll show like this beautiful rose or something. And like all of the people are basically trading like you would be on the stock fo- floor, but like for flowers instead where they're. They're waiting as the price drops to the price they want, but they've got to get in fast enough because if they don't click in time, it might all be gone, and then they'd have to get a rose of a different color. Um, so yeah, it's like this very intense system that's set up and really, like has been digitized. It, it feels to me very disconnected from what I think about as like, oh, growing flowers, you know. But yeah, so the biggest one in the world is in the Netherlands, but there are flower auctions all over the world. Um, and actually North America's largest flower auction house is in Burnaby. So fun fact. Oh, <laughs> right. near. Oh, Rio. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so there are these flower auction houses and, um, the Netherlands is the big one. So 40% of flowers that are purchased, um, around the world go through auction houses somewhere in the Netherlands. So it's like, no matter where flowers are being grown from, if you're servicing the European market, most of the time they go through these auction houses. The other option is to like, um, sometimes there'll be uh, companies that have like direct relationships with flower producers, like you do in a normal industry, you know, and they're just getting traded that way. But in a lot of cases, you're flying these flowers from where they're grown to the Netherlands or to wherever else the auction houses, and then they're going on to their final destination after that. I have a stupid question. If
0: you're running a flower shop in Italy and the flower auction is in the Netherlands, how does that work?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the Italian case specifically. I did um, hear about uh, a UK florist, so I'll maybe use that as an example because it's probably similar. If you're, let's say, you're in the UK and you want to buy flowers that are um, going through an auction house in the Netherlands. You might actually go to the auction house. Some of them do that. Um, Or you might buy through a wholesaler that goes to that auction house. Mm, That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, So the flowers are taking that journey. You're not necessarily doing that. Yeah, it's it's weird, man. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) the only
0: time you would really need to do a trip for that is if you had like a major event coming up, like some rich person was having a crazy wedding or something.
1: Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, it is like um, if you want to get the top quality flowers, and you're in the auction houses are where they a lot of the best ones trade through. So I think that's one of the reasons people do it. But it's weird, and it's all sort of like it goes back to. Had you ever heard about like tulip bulb trading in the Netherlands? No, no. It's a. It's like this random thing that um is often talked about in economics because there was it was like one of the biggest economic Bubbles that burst. It's basically um, you have like the Netherlands is like a fairly wealthy country. I think this is in the 16th or 17th century. It's like old-timey. And there's not a lot of ways um, for them to sort of people to ostentatiously display their wealth because like a lot of people in the Netherlands at the time are um Calvinists, which is kind of like um it's a form of Protestantism where you're really not supposed to have ostentatious displays of wealth. So if you're like a wealthy person in the Netherlands, um, one of the few ways that you can do that is through having like these really beautiful gardens. And so tulips became this um, sort of status good in the same way that pineapples kind of were too (laughs) in various parts of the world. Um, So everybody wanted to have these beautiful tulips um, and different varieties of tulips. And in particular, there were these sort of striped tulips that were very popular that only kind of came about when there was a particular virus that affected the bulb, but they didn't know that at the time. So everybody wants these like striped tulips and they want like really vivid tulips. And so there starts to be this like, you know, trading system where these bulbs are going for truly ridiculous prices. And then people kind of get into it, not so much for the love of tulips, but because they can see the chance to make a profit because tulip bulb prices are just going up and up and up and up and up. And then eventually it becomes untenable because like a tulip bulb is paying for a house, and <laughs> like ultimately, <laughs> that's not the real value of it, so the bubble bursts but the um like the flower auctions that exist today are are linked to that history as well, so it's just a kind of another layer of how weird the flower industry is, anyway,
0: <laughs> if that has anything to do with ethics, I just found it interesting. That is really interesting. I didn't know any of that. And I don't know anything about the flower industry. So I just, the more you tell me, the more I'm like interested. I'm like, because you just, you just, you walk into a shop and you're like, oh, there's flowers and you don't think about it anymore. And I think a lot of people get their flowers from the grocery store, which I feel is probably the worst way to do it. But, you know, I don't know. All you see is the flowers.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's hard to know. Um, So I'll talk maybe a little bit about where flowers come from. So... Before, like, the 1980s and 1990s, it used to be the case that you'd get a lot of your flowers sort of, like, grown domestically, or if you're in Europe, the Netherlands was sort of a huge flower grower. Um, but that landscape has started to shift as people are buying more and more flowers, and, you know, the economy has become a lot more globalized. And people are realizing, like, oh, we want to grow all these flowers that like warm weather. Why are we doing it in places that are cold, <laughs> you know? so. Um, The Netherlands is still a huge flower exporter. They export about 55% of the world's flowers. But there are also other big players like Colombia. So a lot of North American flowers come from Colombia or Ecuador. And then um, Kenya is also sort of a really big player when it comes to exported flowers that go to Europe. So if you're in North America, your flowers probably come from Colombia or Ecuador, although it can come from the United States or Canada as well. Or a few other places, and if you're in Europe, it's probably from the Netherlands or Kenya or Ethiopia. In Canada, we import about fifty-five percent of our flowers from Colombia, just to give a sense. So that's huge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, it depends a little bit too on what, like, what flowers you're getting. So um, the Netherlands is still, um, like, if you're if you're buying tulips, they're still mostly coming from the Netherlands. But, like, if you're getting an orchid, uh, the biggest producer is Thailand. So it might, like, where you're getting your flowers from does depend on what flowers you're getting. Another sort of shift that's happened is um, there's been, like other kinds of agriculture, there's been a shift towards larger scale production. So the flower farms that you'll see today, a lot of the times there are these, like, massive greenhouses that exist. Um, whereas before it might've been sort of like smaller scale flower farms. So that's another way in which the world is different. And then the other thing is something you actually mentioned already, which is that now you can get flowers in the supermarket, which is really not a thing that used to happen. You used to have to go to a florist and now about 75% of flowers that are sold are either bought through online retailers or through supermarkets. So that's actually like the main way people get flowers. Do you usually buy supermarket flowers or? Um,
0: I mean, sometimes, you know, you're at the grocery store and, you know, it's the same as walking down the chip aisle, right? You're like, oh, I'll get a treat today. So I'll sometimes buy flowers. But since I moved to this part of town, there's a florist on like three corners of my block. So I can walk in three different directions and hit a florist. So I'm trying not to buy supermarket flowers anymore because- I think we-
1: that might be how you measure gentrification. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's cute though. I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, why why buy from a supermarket when I can buy from a local florist? It just seems better.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that is one interesting thing that we'll, um, we'll talk about a little bit now and then again at the end. But supermarkets are kind of this interesting case because it is true that they tend to buy um, lower quality flowers than the high-end florists um, because they sell cheaper bouquets generally. But they are also kind of interesting because they demand, like, they need a great deal of uniformity. So, like, you need the bouquets to look pretty much the same. Like, all the ones in the display need to look the same. And it needs to be sort of a similar experience every single time you're buying. Um, And also because supermarkets are very aware that they have brand recognition, right? Like everybody knows who the supermarket chains are in their country. And so for that reason, supermarkets, more so than independent florists, have like a concern about not wanting to be the target of activism for labor concerns or environmental issues.
0: Oh, so that makes them better maybe?
1: <laughs> I, it's hard to say, but um, it does mean that supermarkets are, at least as far as I was able to find, they're much more likely than, than florists to like, require that the flowers that they're buying have some kind of certification. Um, so if you want something that has ethical standards... In most cases, the easiest route is going to be going through the supermarket, interestingly. That is the opposite of what I was expecting to hear. (laughs) I know. I I was super surprised by it, too. But on the other hand, you can get, like, the superstars, the ethical superstars, are only going to be probably local florists, right? Because they don't have the same shareholder pressure. So, like, you can find a really good florist that is really committed to organic or fair trade or, like, Flora Verde. We'll talk about the certifications. And they, they really care. And they're probably the best option. But um, on the other hand, a lot of florists don't do anything at all to ensure environmental and social standards. So supermarkets might actually be a safer option than those. But again, it depends on what you value, right? If, like, contributing to your local economy is more important than sending a dollar to, like, a big supermarket chain, then you might have to come down with some sort of balance. Anyway, you want to talk about human rights? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I feel like that's going to be the biggest issue for flowers, although the fact that they're flown everywhere isn't great either. So maybe environmental, I couldn't tell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, one of the things I found, I feel like as we've done more and more of these episodes, I'll start researching and I'm like, oh, yeah, these are the ethical (laughs) concerns that I would have expected. So a lot of those, I won't go into all that much detail on like things like the pay is low on flower farms. I feel like anybody that's been listening through to like what this is episode like fifty five or something fifty three. <laughs> uh, anyone that's been listening through to, to now, I think would imagine that like agricultural producers in developing countries probably aren't being paid very well, um, and that is true in the flower industry for sure. Uh, the other thing that's a bit Specific to the flower industry and working conditions is that I mentioned that Valentine's Day and other special events are a huge source of flower demand, and also flowers die, you know, if you don't sell them right away. So that means that like um, flower industry workers are really sort of on that temporary schedule, right? So like around holidays like Valentine's Day and Mother's Day, people in the flower industry that are working on flower farms. Are often working really long hours, and sometimes they're not getting overtime pay for that. So, uh, that is something to think about. As well, a big issue in uh, the flower industry is worker safety. Uh, This isn't so much a concern in places like the Netherlands, but in Colombia, Kenya, Ecuador, there's a real issue around the use of pesticides and worker safety. Uh, So, in general, There's a high level of pesticide use in flower production because we don't eat flowers, so they're not subject to the same pesticides regulation that there would be for food. And so that means that a lot more pesticides tend to get used to produce these flowers on really quick timelines. But the downside of that is that it can really be harmful or toxic to workers and also can pollute the environment. But we'll focus on the workers for now. We'll get to the (laughs) environment later. Uh, so approximately one fifth of the chemicals that are used in the flower industry in developing countries are actually banned or untested in the United States. So these are not nice substances that are being used. And in a lot of cases, uh, the like protective equipment isn't being provided. So people might be picking roses with their bare hands, in which case, A, thorns, ouch, and B, like they're they're exposing themselves to toxic chemicals and they oftentimes don't have like there's not proper ventilation and stuff like that so people have been getting sick and having miscarriages and all kinds of things as a result of working in the flower industry so that's a big problem union busting also a big problem also did not surprise me one bit (laughs) (laughs) no yeah i was like no they don't like unions what What?" (laughs) yeah so um I was I was mostly um, looking at the Kenyan case for this. I'm sure it happens in other countries as well. But, yeah, flower operations where the workers are trying to unionize, uh, they generally get fired and sometimes threatened with violence. So another issue, um, and this reminded me a lot of our tea episode. <laughs> Gender-based violence is a big thing. Um, the flower industry isn't, like, as... Um, Female dominated as the clothing industry is. Um, it's like only about 60%. I think that's the figure for Colombia about 60% of workers are, are women. But still, that's like more than half. And uh, it comes from like similar sort of perceptions to the tea industry, right? If you want people picking flowers, flowers are fairly delicate. The like sexist idea, but the idea is um, that women have like they're perceived at being able to handle plants more delicately. So as a result, there's a demand for women workers. And the result of that quite predictably is um, uh, in situations where workers are being exploited, part of that exploitation can be sexual. So in Kenya, for example, there have been accounts of sexual assault as a regular practice, and in some cases, even um, reports of it being a condition for hiring or promotion. Uh, and certainly the experience of sexual assault and sexual harassment on flower farms is not limited to Kenya. So it happens in other countries as well. Yeah, so those are the workers' rights issues. <laughs> uh, we'll go on to the environment, maybe?
0: Sure, sure, sure,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, Um. so as... As we discussed before, timing is crucial to the cut flower industry. You got to get the flowers somewhere before they die. And about 45% of flowers die before they're sold. So this <gasps> is like a real concern. 45%? Yeah, I, that was a huge figure. I imagine it has to do with like flowers getting stuck in customs, but I don't know. Or maybe things don't sell right away and they die.
0: Yeah, or maybe they just get damaged on like in transport. I'm sure
1: that happens a ton. Yes, Yeah. Whatever reason, a high number die. (laughs) I just wanted to emphasize, like, this is really, timing is important. um, Because you also need the flowers to stay alive for a little while after people buy them. Otherwise, people tend not to like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so that means, as we mentioned before, that flowers are coming by air. And they're also being refrigerated as they go. That obviously uses quite a lot of greenhouse gas emissions to do. Um, And so that's one reason that um, there's one suggestion to think about plant miles. So to think about how far the plant has traveled to get to you and how long um, you're planning to use it for and to kind of think about that balance. However, uh, greenhouses make this a bit more of a complicated issue. So it's not always necessarily the case that um, it's better to buy local uh, from an emission standpoint. It may not necessarily be lower emissions to buy a local flower than to buy a flower that's been air-shipped around the world. That might sound counterintuitive, but it's basically just because... So the flowers are grown in greenhouses, and if you're... Like, let's say you're a Canadian flower grower that wants to grow flowers all year. Like, winter happens, right? So then you have to heat the greenhouses. (laughs) Winter happens arguably most of the time here. Um, And so... (laughs) Yeah, so you've got to spend a lot of energy heating greenhouses to temperatures that can cultivate flowers, especially if they're flowers that really like warm temperatures. And so for that reason, typically the life cycle assessments for um, like the environmental impact of shipping flowers versus growing them locally is actually in favor of air shipping, which to me was very surprising, <laughs> but, but it is the case. Uh, There was a study by, uh, it was commissioned by Fair Trade International, and it looked at, um, is it better to airship flowers from Kenya or to grow them locally in the Netherlands from an emission standpoint? And that study found that greenhouse gas emissions from air transport of roses um, are four to six times lower than those from heating greenhouses in the Netherlands, so pretty significant.
0: (laughs) That's wild. I never would have thought that. So the only instance on our show so far where buying local might be the worst solution.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't always mean that buying local is bad. It just means that when you're buying local, you have to think about things like seasonality, right? So if emissions are what is really important to you, just um, buying local isn't going to solve the problem if you're buying like roses locally in December, you can pretty much bet that if you're doing that from Canada, there's been a lot of emissions used to heat the greenhouses. Now, you might have other reasons that you want to support a local industry, and that's okay too, but it's not really better from an emissions perspective necessarily. So if you are going to buy local, think about the flowers that are grown in season. And also um, from an emissions perspective, like potted plants maybe a better choice just because they live longer you know so rather than buying flowers that you would have to replenish every week maybe try think about getting something that you can can keep for longer all right water use um (laughs) this in general is not so much of an issue like there are definitely ways that the flower industry can use less water but like, a, a single rose takes about 10 liters of water to produce, and, like, compare that to a six-ounce steak, which takes, um, like, 2,500 liters, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a lot of water that's being used relative to other products. Um, however, depending on where the flowers are grown and how the water is used, like, A... You can use less water. There are some Colombian operations that will use wastewater um, or like collect rainwater to use for their irrigation, which is a lot better than, you know, using up stores of water that might be needed in the future. Um, and there are also ways that you can cut down on water usage in growing plants. So those are all important things for sure. And then the other thing is that um, depending on where the, uh, the plants are being grown, if you're growing it in a really water-scarce area, that can have big problems for local communities, and that's something that's often talked about in the context of the Kenyan flower industry. And that's that's true for two reasons. One is that in order to get, like, the water for irrigation, uh, oftentimes the, like, local water sources will be diverted in a way that's harmful to the community. Um, and in an, the other reason is just that, like, oftentimes... Uh, the pollution from flower farm effluents will then pollute big water bodies. So that's something that's being talked about um, in Kenya with regards to Lake Naivasha, but also like um, a number of other bodies of water. Which brings me to pollution and pesticide use. (laughs) So pesticide use we talked about already under workers' rights, um, but it's a big environmental issue as well. Um, Pesticide use can pollute um, the water around it. We've talked about ocean dead zones before, but it's also, you know, algal blooms within freshwater. Um, it can be a really big problem. Interestingly, um, Fairtrade International, the group that did that life cycle assessment, that found that it was there were fewer emissions involved in shipping Kenyan roses. Uh, they looked uh, as well at pesticide use, and they compared. Flowers grown in the Netherlands to Kenyan non-fair trade and Kenyan fair trade producers. And they found that Dutch flower producers use the least pesticides of the three. Um, But among Kenyan producers, uh, fair trade certified producers use fewer pesticides relative to non-fair trade producers. Which is interesting because we'll talk about it in in a bit. But fair trade actually like isn't about pesticides at all. So the fact that there's lower pesticide use is not necessarily something you would expect. And then the last environmental impact is packaging. I didn't have a lot about this. Uh, <laughs> I wrote flowers in plastic packaging, not ideal question. <laughs> <laughs> but that was about all I could find about that. I suppose that would just be something to look at if you're purchasing flowers. Is it coming in single-use plastic wrap? Is there way, are there ways that you can find, you know, packaging that you can compost or whatever, recycle or reuse?
0: I'm still kind of, like, reeling over the fact that flying some flowers would be better than growing them in greenhouses, but I guess, like, when you say it, it makes perfect sense, but I just, it, just another way that I hadn't really thought about this industry before. As for the pesticides, like, I know you're going to talk about it when you get to fair trade, but it does kind of make sense to me that they would use fewer pesticides in fair trade product because fair trade is about, like, workers' rights for the most part, like, We're taking care of our workers, and part of that would be making sure you're not poisoning them, I would think.
1: Yeah, you would hope, anyway. I'm just going to send you... um, Okay, in our chat, I've sent an infographic. (laughs) I just want you to look at it, and this is, like, um, an infographic that I'm showing her with uh, a bunch of different certification schemes for flowers, Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot, yeah. So I'm not going to go through all of them because there are so many. Oh, you uh, sure you don't want
0: to go through all 30 of these? (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: no. Oh,
0: they're like organized by social, environmental, and quality. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a good infographic. i will put it in the research notes for people if they want to find it. All of which to say there are a bunch of different ethical certification schemes that exist in the flower industry. And in general, when you're looking at um, ethical labels, there are two main categories. So one is um, categories that are consumer labels. So these are environmental, social or governance labels that like are meant to communicate something to the consumer about what is in the product. And then there's another category called business to uh, business standards. And so those are ones that aren't so much about marketing to consumers, but they're, they're meant to basically communicate something to a business that might um, buy your product. So you won't generally see those ones on products, um, and so they're ones that people often have never heard of, uh, but they're really important in the flower industry, so it's important to sort of set up that
0: those exist. That's really interesting to me that there would be so many labels and that they would be so important, but as a consumer who regularly buys flowers for herself, I didn't even know it was a thing. It's almost like, what's the point, you know?
1: Yeah, it's very strange. Um, and I I have to imagine the fact that there's, like, such low consumer knowledge, like, it probably hampers the uptake of these standards to some degree, but we'll talk about them. <laughs> All right, Kyla, we've talked about some labels in the past. Uh, What are some of the ones that you think might come up here? I guess I've already shown you the infographic. (laughs) Tell me some eco labels that you think might be in flowers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw saw on the list that you sent the Rainforest Alliance, and I think that was the only one I recognized.
1: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, you probably would also have recognized Fairtrade if um, you had been looking at the list for longer, because we have talked about <laughs> Fairtrade. Uh, there's also organic certification, which you wouldn't have recognized on that label because they had the European version. But there you can get organic certified flowers as well. So I'll go through some of the big ones. Yeah, organic certifications, the first one, uh, just a quick reminder for people, organics generally mean that there is no pesticides being used, and there's generally some other environmental criteria. Typically, there isn't any sort of social criteria when you're getting organic certification, so doesn't necessarily mean that workers are being paid well, but hey, they're not being poisoned by pesticides, so I guess better than nothing. <laughs> then Rainforest Alliance, uh, which we have talked about a couple times in the podcast before, Um, It is an environmental and social consumer certification system, so they've got a bunch of um, different criteria, including things on, like, biodiversity, worker safety. They cover both of those bases. And then fair trade is a social standard, and it focuses on, like, the idea is, like, we want to ensure a fair trade for people around the globe, so they usually have things like a minimum price. um, They usually require good working conditions. And with fair trade, you can have different rules depending on if you're like a smallholder farmer that's working in a co-op or a company that employs workers, but they cover both of those types of organizations. So you can get flowers that are fair trade certified, you can get flowers that are Rainforest Alliance certified, and you can get flowers that are organic certified. All possible. The second bucket of certifications that I want to talk about are standards that have been developed for specific developing countries. So these are usually it's like the industry association for like flower growers in Colombia, Kenya, Ethiopia, Ecuador. They'll come up with a, a set of standards. And the idea is basically that this will make it more it'll make it easier for flower producers that have the certification to sell to European and um, North American markets. So the big one for those is uh, Flor Verde, the big one that we'll talk about. There's also Flor Ecuador, which I won't talk about. KFC Code of Practice is the Kenyan label. And um, EHPEA Code of Practice is for Ethiopia. But we won't talk about those today just because it would be a lot. We'll talk about Flor Verde because it's the one that, you know, we get a lot of our flowers in North America from Colombia. So I thought it'd be a good one to talk about. So Flor Verde has environmental and social standards that are included in the label, um, and it was created based on a code of conduct that the Association of Colombian Flower Exporters developed. So it includes a a bunch of different um, topics, everything from, like, working conditions and occupational health to sustainability and even some of the more boring but important stuff about, like, Ensuring traceability, so ensuring that you can track where the flower is at each stage of the um, the supply chain, and and basically, flower growers that want to can apply for Flor Verde certification, and they if they meet the standards, they get certified by a third party auditor, which is the a good way that you want to go about it if you're setting up an ethical standard. You want it to be third party, so it's independent. And yeah, um, as of 2015, 40% of total exports of flowers in Colombia have Flor Verde certification. So it's actually pretty common. Uh, That's a lot higher market uptake than is the case in a lot of other industries. You know, almost half. It's it's not bad. There are also some European standards that I won't talk about, but will be listed in the research notes. So if you're (laughs) a European flower buyer, um, please go to the research note for that. And then as promised, there are also business-to-business certifications. Um, So these are the ones that tend to have the less sexy names that like, probably people will not have heard of, but they can be really important. So in the flower market, there are at least three, there are more than three, but three big business-to-business standards. There's Global Gap, MPS, and ETI. So (laughs) uh, if you hadn't heard of any of those, That's not surprising. They don't market to consumers. But Global Gap is maybe the, well, I'm not sure if it's the biggest one, but it is pretty big. And it's basically um, a coalition of big European retail chains that got together to define what good agricultural practices are to them. And so basically, they set up all of these standards. You know, I think Tesco, Sainsbury's, like companies like that are part of Global Gap. Um, And they set up a bunch of standards based on what they think are like good practices. And basically, you can get global gap if you adhere to that. So the global gap flower and ornamental standard is the standard for flowers. um, And if flower growers meet their standards, they can qualify for that. Then there is MPSABC, or Uh, MPS is uh, the Floricultural Environmental Project, um, when you translate their name. And it was basically set up by a bunch of Dutch flower auctions. Um, So they wanted to have some ethical standards. And now it's active in more than 50 countries. So they have a bunch of different certificates, um, and they are actually cross-referenced. So um, they have a standard called MPS um, GAP that is benchmarked against global gaps. So (laughs) you can get you know they're they're harmonized to a certain degree. There's that one, and then the last one is Ethical Trade Initiative, and it's basically the same thing, but it was set up by a coalition of British companies. So, a lot of the times, if you're like an Ethical Trade Initiative or ETI member, you'll require your flower growers to comply with your standards, um, even though these aren't marketed to consumers because. Big retail operations are the ones that run these kinds of standards, um, and oftentimes the companies will dictate that they need you to have a certain certification in order to be a supplier. They can be really powerful, right? Because if you want to sell to Sainsbury's because you want your flowers to be in like every market in the UK, you need to adhere to the standards that they tell you you need to adhere to. So even though a consumer won't have won't necessarily have any idea that these standards have occurred, um, it's a way for companies to sort of ensure some kinds of baselines.
0: That's really cool. I never thought I would be giving credit to big supermarkets, but here we are. That's something that I'm pretty surprisingly pleased to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Something that's like some nice news coming out of one of my favorite industries.
1: I mean, it is, but also like, remember, it's a reputation um, protecting exercise too, because these companies don't want to get Nike'd, you know, where suddenly like there's it's the 90s, and everyone's like, sweatshop, shit, and Nike's like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I get that their
0: motivations are probably really not what we want them to be, but the fact that they're there and are doing them, it's like, I don't care what your reason is, that's good news, you know?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good, like, you can have a massive impact when you're able to work that way in a way that, like, a lot of the times consumer labels have this problem where, you know, you have to get consumers to care enough to buy the label, whereas if you can just convince like if you can convince Walmart to do literally anything like that's going to have a huge impact because they buy so much stuff you know so business to business labels matter a lot it's it's tough because as you as a consumer like you don't necessarily know how robust these standards are um a lot of time they're not third party audited so they may like the audits may not be great um They're certainly not as robust as some consumer-led standards, but they are something. So how common is ethical certification? A vast majority of um, European flower and plant growers participate in one or more certification schemes. As as I mentioned before, Flor Verde has 40% uptake in Colombia, so it is actually fairly common to have um, ethical certification of some kind. And some of the reasons behind that is just that it opens up different areas of the market. So even though certification isn't necessarily required at flower auctions, it does sort of go on the, the ticker. So if you're if you're somebody trying to buy flowers, you'll often see some of the labels anyway, and that might shape your decision to buy. And then as well, um, we mentioned supermarket chains. They often have their own labels or they're based on those business-to-business labels. And so if you want to sell to them, you have to be certified in some way. I found, a, I found a, a, a report that said it's not uncommon for African and Latin American producers to hold five or more different certificates, which that just sounds like it's a bureaucratic nightmare <laughs> for those producers. <laughs> But I guess uh, if it helps your market enough, it's probably worth it. One big barrier is, as I mentioned, low consumer awareness. So only about 10% of consumers were aware that sustainable flowers are available in flower shops. So you're not alone in not knowing that. And I've certainly never seen ethical labels in the flower shops I've visited. So consumer awareness, though, is highest for fair trade. So people are more likely to have heard of that than other flower labels. We'll talk about two more things. Uh, One is the slow flowers movement, and the other is what can you do? So have you ever heard of the slow flowers movement before? I
0: have not, but I can guess that it probably means flowers that are not flown.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like the slow food movement, which maybe we'll have to do an episode on like slow food and the locavore movement or whatever. But basically, um, slow flowers is this idea that consumers should buy flowers that are grown locally, seasonally, and ethically. So, like, note the last two as well. It's not just local. It's also making sure that, like, it's seasonal so you're not um, having wildly high energy costs and things like that. Slow also means that flowers are grown in a considered manner and not rushed through with all sorts of chemicals and artificial interventions. So usually means lower pesticide use. Um, The other thing with flowers is, you know, in order to get high enough production, there's this pressure to produce a lot of flowers really, really quickly. And that's something that the Netherlands has gotten really good at to the point that actually, have you ever, have you ever gotten a flower, like a rose that didn't smell like anything and thought about that way?
0: Oh, yeah. I think I read about that uh, while I was researching for flower auctions the other day. They were like, oh, they they grow flowers so quickly that they're they're focusing on the genes that make them that make them bloom and grow and not so much on the genes that make them smell or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I heard about that. It's like um, it's a thing that's particular to um, roses in the Netherlands because, yeah, because they're trying to grow they're focusing on like ones that last and look beautiful and grow quickly. And so the scent is oftentimes lost. And for me anyway, I got um, I got roses about a year ago that I remember smelling and being like, this doesn't smell like anything. What the hell? Um, and I, I didn't really think any more about it. And so this light bulb went off in my head when I was reading this. I was like, I bet they were from the Netherlands and that's why. Yeah,
0: it's really interesting because, you know, maybe in a couple of decades, we'll have young people who will watch an old movie and they'll talk about the sweet smelling roses and or they will we'll talk about like, oh, you stop and smell the roses. And young people will be like, why would I do that? Roses don't smell like anything. And they'll never know that they used to.
1: <laughs> Whoa, I had not thought about that. Very dystopian. <laughs> yeah, so uh, wait, what can you do if you want to produce ethical flowers so you can try to find florists that will offer fair trade and organic options you can also switch to a potted plant Um, I know it's they're not a perfect substitute and that flowers are really pretty but um, (laughs) in general if you think about the environmental impact of one flower versus one plant like if you if you're keeping a plant for like a year or more then all that um, energy that they that is used to sort of grow and ship it that you only have to do that once instead of once a week. Um, for the same reason, you should avoid potted plants that are designed to die. So, like poinsettias in around Christmas time is a, a big example of that. Like, I do have a friend who still has a poinsettia alive from Christmas this year, so, <laughs> <laughs> so they don't always have to die. But usually, people throw them out after Christmas, and that's not so great. Um, As well, before you buy, um, another thing you can try to do is to Google the plant or flower to ensure that it's not endangered. So that's not going to be a perfect system, but it can at least get you started. Um, But I would say just kind of like leaning on um, florists that seem to care is maybe the best way to go. Um, And making it clear to your local florist um, or your supermarket chain, if that's where you buy your flowers that you care about things like fair trade and organic and um that you want to see less um sort of like single use plastic packaging for flowers. Yeah. Want to talk about your challenge? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did it wrong.
0: <laughs> Turns out I went into I went into two out of the three florists that are like next to my house and I asked them where do your flowers come from? Are they shipped in? Do you buy local? And uh, I ended up buying from the first florist a bunch of dried lavender because it was local and they dried it so it would just last forever and it smells amazing. And it came wrapped in paper and I was like,
1: great, I'm good. And then... That one might be fine because it might have been lavender grown locally in season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it was. So like, I, I don't feel so bad about that. And then the other one, I walked into the shop and I spoke to the, it was, like the owner was there and she was very excited to talk about the flowers. And I just thought she was very charming and I'm going to buy flowers from her all the time now. But <laughs> she, I asked her, I'm like, so like you fly, like these get flown in and are you able to buy anything locally? And she's like, yeah, we're at about 50-50 right now for local versus flown in. Uh, at the height of winter, we'll do like 70% flown in and 30% Uh, local, and then, you know, closer to the summertime. And then in the summer, she buys basically the opposite, like 70% local, 30% flown in, which makes sense, because we've got a lot of flowers that grow here in BC. So (laughs) it's like not a lot of reason to import if you don't have to.
1: Yeah, and it's a milder climate too.
0: Yeah. So I bought tulips. Uh, I think she said they were local, but now I'm thinking that if they were, that's probably worse than just flying them in from
1: the Netherlands. <laughs> Although I don't know, you still have to heat the greenhouses in the Netherlands on. There's the air freight, so I think you might be That's true. You might be better off with a local on that one. <laughs> I don't know. Everything's complicated, Kyle. <laughs> I know,
0: I know. I was I was with uh, somebody uh, while I was buying the flowers, and he was like, wait, flowers get flown in? I'm like, where did you think they came from? They have, like, they're alive for, like, a week. <laughs> you think they're being shipped here, like, b- by sea? And he's like, I thought they just put them on, like, a, a truck bed that had, like, dirt, and they just were transported, like, implanters. And I was like, oh...
1: Oh, that's adorable! <laughs> I say, although I had absolutely no idea how the flower industry worked until two days ago. So. No, yeah. And I was like,
0: look, I, I knew that flowers were flown around the world, but I didn't know a lot of other stuff. And I mean, if you never think about flowers, I buy flowers for myself pretty frequently. And my friend doesn't. So like, why would why would he think about it? You know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. I so I basically never buy flowers for myself, although this entire time researching, I was like, God damn, I want some tulips, which I know was not <laughs> the point. <laughs> That's what I bought. I got I got tulips. <laughs> yeah. I was just um, like, because all of the articles have these beautiful pictures of flowers or like I watched some documentaries that have these beautiful videos of flowers and I can like smell it in my mind the whole time. And I'm like, ah, uh, all I want is like some colorful flowers, but...
0: I just I don't know. I just want to see sunshine. I was feeling pretty low this morning. And then I did this exercise where I went and found flowers and I bought the tulips and I felt immediately better. So
1: (laughs) that's amazing. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm torn. This isn't the worst industry. I guess what I'll have to do is just buy more flowers in the summertime. Although the winter is when you really want flowers, to be honest. (laughs) It's true.
1: I don't know. You can buy some, like, nice plants to get you through the winter.
0: That's true. I know you got a really lovely ZZ uh, recently for Christmas. Sure
1: did. (laughs) Uh, I'm also doing this thing where (laughs) I've I've got a bunch of pothos and philodendrons and I'm, like, trying to propagate them. And uh, it is, it's good. It's fun. They're going well. But also it is a real reminder that I'm like it is a a lockdown hobby for sure. I'll like get up every morning and look to see how much the roots have grown. I'm like, I wish I could (laughs) go to a movie or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know that last summer I grew what I thought was a dwarf sunflower, but it turned out to be a real, like actual huge sunflower. And I kept having to like, I kept having to move it into, because I just planted a seed and I was like, oh, this will be fine. And I kept moving it into bigger and bigger pots until finally I put it in a Home Depot bucket. And then I was like, I need to plant this outside somewhere. So we were moving it into a vehicle to take to a garden and uh, some, it wasn't me, but the person putting it in the back seat broke it in half. And I was like, well, R.I.P. Sunflower. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end, it was six feet tall. And I was like in my apartment. I was like, it was so Anxiety-inducing, Kristen, because I was so worried. I was gonna, I was like, "Am I giving this thing enough sunlight? Is it getting enough water?" I don't know anything about plants, and it grew really well. So, (laughs) until we murdered it ruthlessly. So, (laughs) so I guess growing your own plants is probably the most ethical thing to do. Just buy a packet of seeds and
1: go go for it. You know? Yeah, we'll have to do an episode on it because I a don't know where plants. I don't know how plants are shipped places, and I assume there are some problems. And B, there's apparently some issue with certain potting mixes. Um, I know enough to have seen that in some articles, but not enough to actually tell people about it. So we'll do another episode on it. Well, and you know so much about
0: propagating that it would be a waste for you not to be able to share that with the world.
1: (laughs) I don't think any listeners want to hear how wild my potted plant hobby has become in the last like 12 months. (laughs) But no, I, I don't know. I... For my challenge, I decided to just call up the um, the plant shop that I go to usually to see where their flowers come from. I found out that like like most florists, they don't really they don't really seek out ethical or social like environmental or social standards. So that was a bit of a bummer. But <laughs> I mean, I didn't even think to ask that. I was just like, "Do you have local
0: stuff?" And they were like, "Yes," and I was like, "Great." <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the good news is I did find an article that has um, a link to a few florists that offer fair trade and organic options, and there's one of them that's just um, in the Ottawa area, so that is perfect. If I get flowers, which I don't usually do, I will go from them. Nice.
0: Nice. Well, that's awesome. That's slightly less depressing than our usual stuff.
1: I know, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: great well that was a lovely episode thank you for putting that together (laughs) I learned more than I expected to so that's always fun
1: yeah I spent way too much time going down rabbit holes with these like Dutch flower auctions because they're just so bizarre like I really encourage people to go like go online and look at videos of a Dutch flower auctions and B, like Dutch flower factories, or I guess farms, but they seem too mechanized to really be farms. <laughs> like they're like people are moving around in like these big trucks that are like zipping, zipping, zipping across, and like it's really wild. Um, they're super high tech in a way that I did not expect. But
0: okay, cool, awesome. And also talk to your local florists and support them and let them know that you care, and maybe they'll buy better stuff, and you can support your small businesses at the same time as doing good so this is this is an industry that gives me hope
1: yeah yeah just find a local florist that cares about ethics and uh i don't know i think it's kind of similar to chocolate you know like certifications get you part of the way but they're not the whole story so if you find somebody who's a florist who cares like they're gonna know a lot more about it than you will and you know as long as they care you can kind of trust them
0: well, that's great. Everyone have a a happy spring since this was this is coming out right away. <laughs> if anybody wants to reach us and to talk about flowers, we love it. I love flowers. You can get us on Twitter at Pullback Podcast and we'll catch you on the next episode.